we're over halfway through the messages to the seven churches and we're closing in on the second to the last. And I have to confess that we're not going to get through this letter to the Church of Philadelphia. This is an amazing book, the book of Revelation. I mean, when you think of it in terms of all the other books in the Bible, there's really not another book like this that really was dictated from Jesus to one of his apostles, the apostle he loved, John. So this is a dictated letter, a book, something that we have in our hands of treasure from Jesus himself speaking to his church. And the things that he's speaking of are those things that he knows by experience. And he's not just hallucinating. He's not just, they're not just coming out of his head. It's his experience. Because he is timeless. He is God. And he sees the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. He knows it all. And he is sharing it with us so that we would have a heads up, so to speak. So that we would be prepared. So that we would know what our hope is and what we can expect in the future. And in these letters, he's gotten very personal because he knows us as the church. He said he would build his church upon the confession that Peter had said, you are the son of the living God. And as we've said before, the demons had to profess and acknowledge that he had come in the flesh. But every time they encountered Jesus, the demons said, we know who you are. We know you are God, the Lord. And he told them to be quiet. Why? Because that is the confession of the church, that he is Lord. And they will not recognize that he came in the flesh as a man to overcome the darkness of their evil. It's turned right around the other way, isn't it? That we acknowledge him as our Lord, as the shepherd, the one that gives his life for the sheep. And that's what we have here in Philadelphia, which happens to be, you know what the name Philadelphia means, right? Brotherly love. And so the founders of that city in Pennsylvania <laughs> called it the city of love, brotherly love. That is our habitation. That is where we live. And this church, bless them, they don't have anything negative spoken to them. It's the only church in this set of seven letters where the Lord is not calling them out as they were lacking. But this was a small church. Historically, commentators say the Church of Philadelphia was a small church. And we've talked about the churches. Some of them were significant and had a lot of gifts but Philadelphia just was a plain old country church. 
a little country church. And in terms of significance, this is a little country church in the midst of Kichijoji. We're not that special in terms of counting churches in the world. I think we're specially only because the Lord loves us. He loves you. He's brought us together, made us to be brothers and sisters together. But there are greater, greater churches, I'm sure, in terms of numbers, in terms of power and significance. We meet in a basement and we are just common, ordinary children of God. And he loves us that way. He loves us the way he has made us. And one of these days, we're going to be standing before him in our new bodies. This is the blessing that we've read. Let's read it together again. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. That's our blessing because we are reading this and we're meditating on it. This whole message to the Church of Philadelphia is in uh, Revelation 3, 7 to 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, we've already described this as the church of brotherly love. And this church, like I said, hasn't really got a negative message. It does have some serious warnings, but by and large, they were beautiful believers. And I think that that's a credit to the leaders of that church. We don't know who planted that church, where it came from. The other churches, we have a little bit of tie into a Testament uh, history, but with this church, I don't think there's any record that identifies 
where this church, how it started, where it was in terms of the kind of church it was, except for right here in this passage. He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. That's the Lord himself. And as Kent said, holy, holy, holy. That's only mentioned twice in the Bible. That the Lord himself is holy, holy, holy. And that has with it a sense of body, soul, and spirit. The whole being of God is holy, holy, holy. That speaks of the Trinity, the Holy Father, the Holy Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Each of them in their persons are holy. Nothing is diminished or not quite reaching the fullness of God. But in the mention of holy, holy, holy is their completeness in their persons. And even the holy, holy, holy describes them as a trinity, as one. Can we understand that? How many can understand that? We really don't understand what it means, God, three in one. I think the reason why we don't is because he is so, 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 so beyond our mentality and being able to understand what kind of a person, what kind of a God he is. He is complete. And so holy describes him in terms of his character, in terms of his power, in terms of his heart, in terms of his word, it's complete. Whatever you would talk about. When Jesus healed someone, it was out of his power, which was complete. When Jesus spoke his words and they came true or so, they were complete. There wasn't anyone else that could do what Jesus did. In fact, Jesus said that because I did what no other man could do. You are guilty. Jesus came as a man to show us that it is possible for a man in human flesh to obey and to fulfill the law. He did it not as God, like I've said before, pulling out of his pocket the God card and say, ha ha, I am God. Jesus did not act that way. He walked out his father's will in a human body just like mine, just like yours. And he fulfilled the law completely. And therefore he became the perfect lamb of God to die for every one of us for every person that's ever been born, 
throughout all history, to the most innocent child, to the most disgusting criminal. That is our Savior. That is our God, who is holy, 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 complete, completely fulfilling all the law. It says of Jesus over 30 times in the Old Testament, the Holy One of Israel. That's his name. The Holy One of Israel. Was Israel holy? Not even close. But they were God's chosen people. They were people that God chose to show to the world what real love is. But did God fail? No, he didn't. Did Israel fail? Well, not really, because they showed us, we Gentiles, they showed us no man can keep the law. And the law brings us to Christ because we need him as fallen people. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, we need a perfect Savior. And he became the perfect Lamb of God for us. And that's why it says, holy, holy, holy. He's the one who's true to himself. Who has the key of David. What does that mean in terms of the passage here? That he is the key of David. This quote comes out of Isaiah 22:22. Easy to remember. Just think of Isaiah in the 22:22. Jesus describes himself who has the key of David. There's another passage that we're soon to celebrate that talks about a similar thing. It says uh, Isaiah actually says this, "Then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder when he opens, no one will shut when he shuts." No one will open. This story comes out of the book of Isaiah 22 in talking really about the prophecy of Jesus coming. But it's talking about Eliakim, who was a, the chief administrator for King Hezekiah. And you think, well, that is a very odd place to have a prophecy concerning Jesus coming in this book, just hidden off in a corner of the book of Isaiah. And this little phrase gets brought all the way forward from Isaiah to the last book that Jesus quotes then in Revelation. Jesus came to stand in the place of all other administrators in the kingdom of Israel at the time of Hezekiah. Eliakim was actually one of three administrators or counselors or men who came alongside King Hezekiah. But Eliakim was moved then from being among three as to being the chief administrator. And what it meant was if anybody wanted to approach King Hezekiah, he had to get permission from Eliakim in order to be able to speak with the king. The authority was on the shoulder of Eliakim 
but it points to if anyone comes to the Father, he must come through the Son, Jesus Christ. And that was this one who has the key of David. And that's what we have in the name of Jesus. We have the key of David in Jesus Christ. And we come to the Father through Jesus with that key, with that authority, so that we have ready access to the king who opens the door and no one will shut it. And who shuts, no one will be able to open it. That's the authority that is given in the name of Jesus. It's not on anything of our good works and what we have done. It's all to the credit and glory and praise of Jesus Christ, who has the key. Praise his name. Thank him for that. And then he says, I know your deeds. Behold, I've put before you an open door which no one can shut. Why would God put before us an open door? We already talked about the sheepfold and that it really was an open door. And the shepherd laying in the opening was a protector. Jesus is offering an open door to all of us. He's opened heaven for us. We've talked about Jesus as the firstborn from the dead. The only person who died on this earth being raised again and entered into heaven. Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, made a way through the womb, the shroud that covers this world, a shroud of death. And Jesus passed through that shroud. And Israel to this day says, the firstborn is blessed. Why? Because Jesus Christ was the firstborn, the first human being to break through that womb of death and make an opening for the rest of us to pass through. Incredible, incredible witness of who Jesus Christ is. Behold, I have put before you an open door. Why? Because Jesus Christ went through that open door. Because you have a little power. That's not a negative statement. That is a positive statement. And that power is appropriate to your life experience. And we have a little power. And God has been with us to give us the power to continue walking and believing in Jesus Christ through the hardship, through the things that are tough in your life right now. Thank God for a little power. Do you know what God can do with a little power? Jesus said, if you have faith as a Mount Fuji. <laughs> no. What did he say? 
a mustard seed. If I held a mustard seed up here, you wouldn't even be able to see it. But that little in the hands of the Savior is got power in it. So much power. That's what it means to be a Christian on a day-to-day -day basis. It's not us. It's God working in us. Even though it's such a small channel, even though it's such a small word, and it could be said by anybody else much better than I, you have a little power. And you have kept my word. That's what we've been talking about. You've kept my word. And have not denied my name. Look those verses up. You've kept my word. Psalm 123, verse 2, and Proverbs 18.10. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it brings to us of life, life eternal. We thank you that in our talk here this morning, you are the glorious king. You are the one who is worthy of all praise and all glory. We thank you for giving us the key of David in yourself. Thank you for the open door. Thank you for the little power. And thank you for your word and your name. We confess you as Jesus Christ, the one who was raised from the dead, who brought to us eternal life. And you are a strong tower for us. And the righteous runs into it and is safe. In Jesus' name, amen.